But I want us to think about the power of the gospel in the influence and the influence that we have in spreading the gospel to those around us. And I want to do it kind of in a weird way, so please hang with me. I want us to go to church history. You're probably wondering, well, how does this connect? Well, just if you can hang with me, I promise I'm trying to get somewhere, and I hope you arrive with me at that destination. But if you look at the church at Ephesus, probably the most incredible church. I mean, as I study and I have lived in the book of Acts, I look at Ephesus and I scratch my head. I mean, Thessalonica was also a great plant by Paul, but Ephesus on his second journey, he leaves behind Aquila and Priscilla in Ephesus. He goes on uh, back to Jerusalem, comes back on his third journey, and spends about three years in Ephesus. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 10, it says something incredible. It says that in two years that the church of Ephesus reached all of Asia with the word of the Lord in two years, both Jew and Gentile. Now, Asia in that context can be understood as Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey today. And there are some that would argue that there's a province called Asia, Asia province, that Paul's referring to uh, or, or that Luke is referring to in Acts 19.10. But whether it's the province of Asia or Asia Minor, the fact that in two years the church planted Ephesus reached all the people in Asia, that everybody had a chance to hear. It doesn't mean everybody believed. It doesn't mean everybody went to church. But everybody in Asia, Asia Minor, had a chance to hear the gospel in two years. Ephesus was an incredible work. As you remember, as you read about the planting in Acts, you see that Paul begins in the synagogue as was his practice, but then he kind of gets a little frustrated with the stubbornness of the Jews, and he takes them to the hall of Tyrannus or the school of Tyrannus. I hope I'm saying that word correctly. But he takes them and he begins to disciple them and teach them and preach to them of their responsibility to share the gospel. And guess what? They believed it because they went out from Ephesus into every region of their known land in Asia Minor to take the gospel to villages and to hamlets and to cities and towns of Asia Minor. And in two years, if you look at Acts chapter 19 verse 10, you'll see in two years that the gospel was spread in all of Asia, both Jews and and Gentiles uh, heard the word of the Lord. Now, in the Ephesian plant, it did not come without resistance. In fact, if you have a church plant or you're in a, a revitalization work, you can almost expect resistance. And if you don't have it, something's probably wrong because Satan always resists the gospel. He always resists the kingdom of of Christ and Paul and the planters experienced uh, this pattern of resistance. Uh, Demetrius the silversmith raised everybody up uh, in an uproar because the little idols that were being made in Ephesus were not being purchased. And he says, This Paul and his 
gang have turned the whole world upside down. That people are turning away from the idols that we make, and it's hurting our industry. It's hurting our uh, our pocketbook, so to speak. So Paul had that as he was dealing with the church in Ephesus. It was a pagan city given over to the worship of the goddess Diana. You can do history studies on that. There was much paganism and magic uh, being done because the Bible says in verse 19 uh, that uh, uh, the church, uh, many people in the church had turned from magic and many had turned from idol worship, verse 26. Uh, and and, and it's, uh, the reference is uh, that they were turning to God from their pagan practices and their pagan beliefs. The Colossian church was not planted by Paul, but Epaphras, converted by Paul in Ephesus, went to Colossae and planted the church. And I think that gives us insight in how the gospel spread so rapidly from Ephesus. And so my whole point of making this historical designation with the church at Ephesus is this, that they had the main thing, the main thing. And they did a good job. By the way, the work of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is winning souls and discipling believers. Jesus Christ commanded us in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples. Notice that he did not say to us that we should preach a message that says, Come. Many times we say, well, come visit my church. Is there anything wrong with that? Not, nothing wrong at all. The problem is that lost people, by and large, just won't come to your church. That's why Wes Miller had to go to Lucinda Drive in Tillman's Corner, Alabama, to beat my daddy in our den that night and win him to Christ because sinners aren't going to come, by and large. Some will, but by and large, they're not going to come. The command of Christ is not come, but it's go. Go and make disciples. So we see the example of the Ephesian church as a model first century church in relation to the mission. They took the mission seriously. It's evidenced by chapter 19, verse 10. I would go so far as to say that their passion was to tell of Christ and what he had done. It was their first love to tell the story. We sing a song in Baptist churches, I love to tell the story, will be my theme in glory, to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. The only problem is we sing it, we just don't do it. I don't know if you've, Notice lately, I'm not into statistics, but I read an article by Al Mohler published in May of this year and one by J.D. Greer that our denomination of Southern Baptists is in decline in the baptisms and, and number of churches and even in church attendance. And I submit that the motivation for the message this morning in my heart was if we don't get back to the Ephesian model of the mission that we may cease to exist uh, as a denomination and as a church. You realize that we're one generation away from non-existence. If one generation refuses to tell the story, 
to share the story, to win souls and disciple people. That's not our passion. If that passion has been replaced with other good, well-meaning things, then we die. We dry up on the vine. Now, with that reference, turn to Revelation chapter 2. And I know you know where I'm going. But Revelation chapter 2. Some years later, the Lord Jesus Christ dictates a letter to this great church. He dictates a letter to the Angelos, the messenger of the church, which I believe is a reference to the pastor of the church. Some would take different views, and that's a fair position. But I take the view that this is the letters being dictated to the Angelos, to the messenger of the church, which is the pastor. And in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, Reading from the New King James, to the angel or the messenger of the church at Ephesus write, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works. One thing is true about Jesus Christ. His eye is on his people. He knows what we do, and he goes even further than that. He knows why we do what we do within the church. Jesus says, I know your works, <coughs> your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil, and you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you've persevered, and you've had patience, and have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary or have not given up. Nevertheless, to this great church who has spread the gospel to all of Asia Minor, the Lord of the church says, I have something against you. You've left your first passion. Now, of course, as we look at this passage and we break it down, we understand, first of all, that the Lord begins, I like the way MacArthur breaks it down, he says the Lord begins with a commendation. And we see the commendation to the Ephesian church. He really commends them for their hard work. Verse 2, I know your works, your labor. Growing a church, planting a church, Revitalizing a church is hard work. And Jesus acknowledges their work. Their work in what they were doing in Ephesus. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, or the word endurance could be translated. How they endured or persevered through tough times. Realize where Ephesus was. The church was in a city of paganism. Rank paganism with the worship of the goddess Diana. And the church had already had a run-in with uh, the citizens of the city. So I know it wasn't easy for them in that place of paganism. But he says, you've had patience or perseverance. You cannot bear those who are evil. So the church is commended for their discipline. 
the church actually practiced church discipline. Wow, what a novel thought for us today that the church would practice discipline. Now, remember that the rules for discipline, as a side note here, the rules for church discipline are Galatians 6, 1 and 2. The rules for ch church discipline uh, do, not do not give themselves to taking out an axe and hacking someone to death spiritually. Church discipline is this spirit. You who are spiritual, if you see a brother or sister taken in a fault, go to them in a spirit of humility, a spirit of meekness, to restore them, not to destroy them, knowing that you yourself can also stumble. That's a, a poor paraphrase of the passage, but you get the point. That they practiced discipline. They practiced discipline in their church. And God, Jesus Christ, commends them for the practice of discipline. They also had standards for leaders. It says here in the passage, and you have tested those who say they're leaders or apostles, but they're really not. They're trying to deceive you. Who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. So they had standards whereby they could test spiritual maturity. And I submit to you that the position of elder in the church, the word elder is used, presbyteros, is because it speaks of a man's position in his spiritual maturity. No man should be a pastor of a church that is not first spiritually mature. By the way, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with physical age. You can be 25 years old and be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ. Look at Timothy. Timothy pastored Ephesus. And what did Paul write Timothy, young Timothy, his disciple? He says, let no man despise your youth, but be thou an example to the believers in word, in deed, you see the responsibility on any man who considers himself or says he's called to be a pastor in his first spiritual maturity. And they had a test for spiritual maturity in Ephesus. I mean, they were serious about this thing. They treated church and the kingdom of Christ seriously. Church discipline, testing spiritual leaders for spiritual maturity. He commends them for these things. Let's read on. Verse 3. And you have persevered. Another reference to perseverance. Again, reminding you that life in Ephesus for the believer was no bed of roses. Remember when I was in India, Dr. Horton, we uh, led a fisherman to Christ in a fishing village. Um, the name of the village is called Bati, Bati Village. And uh, he came to Christ, and when he started coming to the house church that was established in Bhati, the Hindu priest told the people of the village to stop buying his fish and not to give his daughters a husband. Now, we don't understand that in this culture, but in those cultures in India, you basically, you live in a village, your children marry children of the same village or nearby village 
Well, now the word had gotten out that these people had left the Hindu gods, and now they're coming to the Christian, they call it the prayer time, the Christian prayer time. And um, so we can do, he said, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And I said, uh, his name was Thomas Coley. I said, Thomas, you are to take up your cross daily and follow Christ, and he will provide for you. And did you know, instead of discouraging Thomas from following Christ, it brought him great joy? I've told you already in another sermon that I preached in chapel about Gurunav in a little village called Dongarpada that uh, we ran into some opposition from the village leader. He wanted to break our legs. He was calling the men to come together to break our legs. And I just knew in my heart that Gurunav's family would no longer want to be discipled after all this, this turmoil. So after the village leader left and our legs didn't get broken by God's grace, Gurunath brought his family back out of their house and I said, do you still want to follow Jesus? And he smiled and said, yes. You see, perseverance in times of trouble, I know we can't figure this out, but it actually purifies the believer. It makes them serious about this. In fact, Please uh, don't misunderstand me. I think maybe it would be maybe healthy for the Western church to be to have some trials that the church would be purified and strengthened by. I think one of the weaknesses of the Western church, and who am I to speak on the Western church, but I'm a part of it. So, But one of the weaknesses is that it's so user-friendly that there's very little required of a member of a church and so we get out of our people what we put into our people, which is no expectation. You go to a house church in India in a village where the guy says, don't buy their fish. you you got to make up your mind. Do I believe in this Jesus enough for our family to go without? And praise God, Thomas's answer was yes. But the church at Ephesus in verse 3 had persevered tough times wasn't easy. They had patience. They labored. That word there for labor is a sweat-producing work. It wasn't just like they were busy. My wife will say to me sometimes, I come home from church, she'll say, how, uh, how was it today? And, oh, man, I was so busy. This word is they sweated. They worked physically for the church. So Jesus commends them in that work. Um, but getting to verse 4 is really where I want us to think for just a second. I want to give you something. In verse 4, after uh, commending the church, the Lord says, nevertheless. I don't know what your translation says. Something's not quite right, Ephesus. That's the, that's the King Jack uh, version. Transliteration. Something's not right. I have something against you. You have left your first love. Now, for years, uh, Pastor Steve, I thought and I preached that this was a passionate love for Christ. They left their passionate love for Christ. I believe these people still had a love for Christ. I just feel like they had left the work of Christ, which was sold getting the gospel out, making disciples, planting churches. 
So when Jesus says to them, you've left your first love, I believe, yes, it is possible they had left a personal, relational love with Christ. It's very possible, and I've heard that preached, and I've preached that in this passage before. But as I look more closely at Jesus' instructions to the church at Ephesus, it makes me think that what he's saying here was you left what you loved at the first, which was reaching people with the gospel that I died for. Look what he says in verse 5. Remember from where you have fallen. Remember means look back to how it was at the first. What did Ephesus do at the first? They reached all of Asia in two years with the gospel of Christ, planted churches, saw multitudes saved. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Remember what went on in the beginning. Repent and do the first works. Now, some who would argue with me and say, Pastor Jack, this is a reference to a personal love for Jesus Christ. And I would go one step further and quote John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. And the Great Commission is his paramount commandment to the church, recorded in all four Gospels. And right before he stepped onto the cloud and left the believers in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. These were the words of our Lord, our Lord and Master Jesus. Right before he ascends in the cloud, he says, And you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses where you live in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. I believe that the Great Commission is the passion of Christ put to mission. It's the passion. Our love can only be seen in our obedience to his cause. He died for this world to know him. It's no small thing to Jesus. The commission is not a great suggestion when you get around to it but it's a command from the person that we call our Lord, the person we worship. And so Jesus Christ says, remember from where you fall. Remember back in the first days when you were sending teams out and you were still witnessing and you were planting churches in Colossae and Laodicea and the other regions of Asia. Remember from where you fall in Ephesus. Repent and do the first works, missions, evangelism, the first works of the church. Or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. You will, I hope you will understand this comment. Dr. Horton, I hope it's appropriate. Some churches are dying and they need to die. I know it's a harsh thing to say. I met with a pastor in the Traveler's Rest area. And there is a church in the region, of course I'd never say names, that is to their own admission they're dying. They're dying. Think of that. The church of Jesus Christ dying. 
Does that trouble anyone in this room? The church of Jesus Christ dying. And I talked to this pastor, and he said there's a church in the area, again, I want to be very general here, that was willing to go help this church. And I talked to the pastor of the church that was willing to go help. And when they went to go help this church, it lasted one Sunday. Dr. Thompson, because I know he has revitalization on his heart. Dr. Thompson, one Sunday, you know what they told him? We don't want to change. You're dying! We don't want to do it. That's not the way. We don't, we've never done it that way before. We don't want to. But you're dying as a church. To your own admission, you're dying. Here in Ephesus, Jesus Christ said, unless we return to a love for him that may be personal and passionate, but if it's not practical in carrying out the mission, then it's a love that's worth nothing. If my love and commitment to Barbara Gibbons, my wife, does not keep me faithful, it means nothing. If I brag on how beautiful she is or what we have as a family, if I've not got a love for her that is not passionate and committed to her in our cause as a family, as Papa and Grandma to our grandchildren, then it's worthless. And I'm telling you what, folks, if we do not have a love for Jesus Christ that manifests itself in telling other people about his death and his resurrection, I submit to you that is a worthless love that is a Revelation chapter 2, verse 4 type love. And Jesus has something against you in your love for him. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus did not say, and I'll be done. Got to get this off my heart. Jesus did not say, and I'm preaching as much to me. Folks, listen to me. I'm preaching this sermon to me in Mud Creek Baptist Church where I serve. I'm the missions pastor there. This is to me. And it's to you also. But Jesus Christ said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus also said, why call me Lord and not do the things that I say? You say, Christ did not say, if you love me, sing songs that make you cry. Sometimes we think, well, worship is nothing wrong. Please hear me. When I worship, I raise my hands. I, nothing wrong. I'm not saying this is wrong. I'm just saying, if we think that this is all that worship involves, if this is all that love involves, that we spread our hands on Sunday morning and say, oh, Jesus, we love you. If it doesn't resonate in our life on Monday, if Sunday never transfers to Monday, then there's something wrong with our love. If my love for my wife doesn't transfer to my life outside of our home. If I go to her and say, honey, listen, I'll be faithful to you Monday through Friday. But on the weekend, yeah, things happen. You know, i got some girlfriends. But I'll be faithful to you Monday through Friday. How many of you women would accept those standards for a relationship? The women are like, no way, no way. I just think we need to look at this passage in Revelation 2 
And then ask ourselves, is our love for Christ manifesting in a way that would motivate us to show up on a Thursday night in Tillman's Corner, Alabama, when only three people showed up, go out and visit the home of Joe Frank Givens on Lucinda Drive and tell my daddy about the gospel. I'll end with this. That night changed my earthly life. I got saved and called into ministry. I wanted to play college football. I had grand dreams. I wanted to be a pilot. I was actually flying airplanes at the age of 16. I was flying Cessna 150s, Cessna 152s, taking flying lessons. I wanted to be a pilot. Jesus arrested my life and put me on a different path. Put me preaching in nursing homes and youth camps as a teenage boy. And uh, I went off to Bible college and met my wife Barbara at Trinity Baptist College in Jacksonville, Florida. She was the school nurse and I was the basketball player. So I sprained my ankle a lot. Uh, you figure it out. And uh, graduated from Trinity, went to Crichton College, graduated from Crichton, went to Mid-America Baptist Theological Seminaries, one of the greatest se seminaries in this country in Memphis, Tennessee, and graduated from Mid-America Seminary in Memphis, Tennessee. But I'm just telling you that if Wes would not have come to my house that night. I don't know where I would be today. Probably not in the pulpit at Fruitland. Probably. I understand the sovereignty of God, but I also understand the practical outworking of the commission. I'm so grateful. Do you realize because Wes knocked on our door, I have a wife named Barbara. I have four daughters and ten grandchildren, and our youngest daughter is pregnant. Number 11's coming. You, who laughed? I laughed and I cried. Mitch, I cried. For happiness, please understand me. But um, So my earthly life has been changed because of a witness, and my eternal destiny has changed. I'm going to heaven when I die because of what West did. He came. Our love for Christ has to be manifested in an obedience to his command to go, to share. And we have to do it because we love him and we love them. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for allowing me the privilege to get this off my heart and off my chest. Lord, it was so much more to me than anyone else in the room. Lord, I needed this word from you. I needed this dictated letter in Revelation 2. I needed it written as if it were written to Jack. And God, I pray that I would not be a hypocrite and preach and teach something that I'm not willing to put into practice in my own life. God, help us to return to the first passion of the mission. To take the gospel to those who've never heard to disciple those that believe. Help us, Lord. Give us a revival that returns us to the main mission of the church. Lord, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.